Hey everybody, welcome back to Prayer House Online. If you are here for the very first time, a special welcome to you. If you're here regularly, welcome back. It's great to have you with us. We hope that you are having a great week here in England. It's been a wet few weeks um, and I hope wherever you are, you've managed to survive. If you are listening from a different part of the world where the weather is far better, would you let us know? We love to hear where you are listening to this from. So get in touch with us. You can contact us on social media. That's Facebook and Instagram. Just look up Prayer House Weymouth or you can email connect at prayerhouse.uk. That's connect at prayerhouse.uk. If you're here for the first time, you're probably wondering what all this is about. We are a church in England. It's called the Prayer House. You can go to our website, prayerhouse.uk, and you can find out more about the church and what we're up to. If you're looking for a new church, this is a great place to start, I hear. So check us out, get in touch with us. We'd love to have a coffee with you and get to know you better. Right, in a few moments, we have Paul speaking to us again, and this time he's talking to us about the cross and Jesus and what Jesus accomplished on the cross, an important thing that happened when Jesus went to the cross for our sake. So it's not your typical gospel message, so I strongly suggest you stick in and listen to it. It was a blessing to me when I listened to it, and my hope is that this blesses you today. Before we jump into that, I just want to remind those of us who are in Weymouth or in the surrounding areas about the Prayer House Prophetic Community. The Prayer House Prophetic Community, if you want to know more, you can get in touch with us. It's a group that we've set up that meets once a month to grow in our prophetic gifts, our ability to hear from God and our ability to hear for each other's sake. So if you are new to this, this is a great place for you to come and learn more about how to hear from God and what this all means. If you've been with us before, please, could you let us know that you're coming to the next one? The next one is on the 9th of March from 4 o'clock at our office at Chapel Hay. That's 9th of March from 4 p.m., at the office at Chapel Hay. So let us know you're coming and we'll book you in for our next session. There's a few more dates that are available for the rest of the year. If you want those dates, get in touch with us. You can, again, use connect at prayerhouse.uk to email us or DM us on Facebook and Instagram and we can get those dates over to you. Why don't we pray as Paul speaks to us? Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be together again and connect online. I pray for every single one of us that this next few moments would be a blessing to us, that Paul's words would encourage us, draw us closer to you, and Father, most importantly, live a life where we are more aware of Jesus and his love for us. In your name we pray. Amen. So um, I'm just going to jump into some scriptures in 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We've talked about this already a little bit. According to the flesh is we look at somebody and we think, cool, they're good looking, or wow, nice body, or whatever we do. I don't, maybe you don't think that. Let's hope not. But um, I've even heard vicars talking like, wow, what a wonderful mind. You kind of think, is that? That's also 
regarding someone from a fleshly point of view because we're considering their their attributes and their skills and all of those things. What a great pianist. There's no, no harm in doing that. But Paul is saying, actually, that's not how we regard people anymore. He says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So Paul's saying, actually, I used to do that. I used to think of Jesus from a fleshly point of view, but I don't anymore. And we don't anymore. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You're right, Patricia. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Awesome, isn't it? So it's not like we've just had a makeover or we've just got our teeth done or our hair sorted out or our acne treated. It's something much more than that. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what he's saying here is this is God's initiative. This is a God initiative that's happening here. And he has reconciled us to himself in Christ, but then handed this ministry of reconciliation on to us. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. Okay, today, God is making his appeal through me. And the rest of us who believe in him, we're reinforcing that and so on. But he is making his appeal through us human beings, the ones who were reconciled, which is amazing, isn't it? So God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Paul is saying, I've been reconciled to God by this thing that God initiated and then delivered through Christ, I've been reconciled to him. Now I'm imploring you, be reconciled as well. And so he says, we implore you on Christ, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is an incredibly dense theological verse of scripture right there. He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So Jesus did not know what it was like to sin. He never did it. It was never in him. He never had the um, malicious thought about his little sister or, or any, do you know what I mean? He just did not have sin in him. So he who knew no sin was made to be sin. It wasn't like he ever sinned, but somehow he was made to be sin. Because he was so covered in yours and my sin, he was made to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can you see our identity change there? 
we are not just somehow modified and changed slightly, but in Jesus, we become the righteousness of God. That's amazing. I think the more you think about it, the more amazing it is. The more times you read it, the more you think, crikey, that is actually stunning. That is not just a facelift, is it? That's like we've demolished the whole building and built something completely different. In fact, we've even changed the footprint, changed the foundation, everything, everything, everything. So verse chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. I will stop there, otherwise we never stop. So, Forchi, can you give us our lovely pictures? Because Anna Jackson does lovely pictures when she speaks, and Pete did some, so I thought, I guess I'm going to try. There's a bit of a white stripe. I'm sorry about that. That's to do with cropping issues, Eleni. Um, so here we are. This is the same verse that we read out earlier. This is um, chapter 5, verse 19, but it's a slightly different translation. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against him. Now, I went to art college I grew up in a very brethren-y type of church where we didn't have any iconography. We didn't have any crucifixes. We didn't even have a cross at the front of the hall. We didn't have stained glass windows. And in my heart, there's always been a slight uh, negative reaction when I see a crucifix or an image of Jesus on the cross. And I think, actually... If you think about it, it is probably one image that we're more familiar with than any other on the face of the earth. And yet, actually, if you think about it, it is the most repugnant, grotesque image of a man. He probably would have been naked, to be honest. He was stripped utterly naked and impaled on this torturous cross, just literally to hang there until he died. And yet we've become so used to it by religious art and churches and everything else. You almost forget what's going on. Yeah, it's sanitized. But actually, just for a moment, let's have a little look at that and just, just remind ourselves. I think that's quite a sanitized view of it as well, but never mind. So God was in Christ. So this was not just a guy who'd done well in his preaching career and got on so well that he'd upset everybody and they had to shut him up. And so this is how they did it. That's not what's going on here. But that would be viewing Christ after the flesh from a worldly perspective. But actually what's happening here is Paul says that God was in Christ. This is God doing it. This is a whole God initiative with God who had the idea God who delivers it, God who is actually the one paying, because Jesus is God the Son. He's not just a good preacher. He's not just a famous guy or a world leader. So if we actually can understand the significance of this, when, when Paul thinks about the cross, he's not thinking about religious iconography. He's thinking about the crucified God the Son 
literally bleeding for a purpose, which is to reconcile the whole world, not just a few Jews, the whole world to, to himself. So this is God. So should we flick to the first picture? So here we go. Some things about reconciliation that I think will speak to us, hopefully, on a number of levels. Number one is the God level, where we understand what God actually was doing in that moment of Jesus' crucifixion. But actually, in our own relationships with other people, how we bring about reconciliation when there is an estrangement. So why might there be an estrangement or a distance between us and somebody where we're not speaking anymore? What might have happened? Just quick, any ideas? Misunderstanding. Sometimes it is as trivial as that, isn't it? What were you going to say, Louise? Falling out, difference of opinion, or an offense has been caused. Yeah? And so maybe they backed off, maybe we backed off, or maybe we're looking at a couple that we know who are in difficulties, and they've backed off from each other. And Paul says, we have this ministry of reconciliation, right? Well, I would say that also works on a number of levels. That's also about helping other people to become reconciled to God by sharing them the incredible news of Jesus. But it can also be sometimes about being a peacemaker in a situation where reconciliation so badly needs to happen, but there's the people seem to be so far from each other that they're not going to make it without some help. And so what happens is Jesus moves. He moves. He disrupts the en passe. If, you have, if you're playing chess and you have two pawns stuck in front of each other, that's called an en passe. The only way you can end that is by taking one of the pawns because they're completely stuck. But actually, our sin had separated us, separated us from God so badly that we could do nothing to rectify the situation. We couldn't make it better, but Jesus moves. So what does he do? He disrupts this on pass. He breaks the silence. He leaves the place of comfort. He gets out of his own comfort zone, literally. Can you imagine being Jesus before he comes to earth? He is in heaven, in the presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit all the time, being worshipped by angels, just Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of the universe, being worshipped by angels. This is a nice place to be. And what happens then? He leaves all of that, and he becomes like this tiny little egg, fertilized egg, in his mother's womb. And we're just enjoying the mystery of all of that. And new birth in our family is a beautiful thing, but... Jesus didn't even just get born into a rich, wealthy, prosperous family. He got born into a family of poor people, ordinary people, and it was really inconvenient. But anyway, so he leaves the place of comfort. What's the next thing, Forty? Because sometimes we need to get out of our own way and move. Go and see the person who's offended, that we maybe have offended them, or maybe they've offended us, but actually we... we humble ourselves and we make the move. It won't just happen if we do nothing. So here he moves. What happens next, Forty? And he identifies. So he doesn't 
come down like a soccer mum and shout from the sidelines and say, you should do, or a soccer dad, which is even worse. And, ah, oh, idiot ref, come and smack the ref. It's, he's not like that. He, he enters our world completely, doesn't he? He puts aside all his glory and all the, his rights to all the stuff that he's been enjoying. He enters our world. He lives among us. He becomes one of us. And his name, Emmanuel, literally means God with us. So imagine we're bringing, we're trying to help two of our dear friends be reconciled. Shouting from the sidelines is not a good strategy. It helps so much more if we would just come enter their world a little bit and just listen, just be there with them, dwell with them, let them talk. Um, if, we're, if we're trying to be reconciled to someone who we've fallen out with, Rather than shouting from the sidelines, you should have done this, you should have done that. If you hadn't have done blah, 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 then it would have been fine. But we actually, we get into their space and just sit with them and put down all our kingly credentials and just be in the house and just listen. Be among them, be God with... And actually, don't you know, God is with us. And when we walk into that environment in the right kind of attitude, God comes in with us. So we're actually bringing Emmanuel into that situation of disruption and tension. We're, we're actually, and brokenness, we're actually bringing the healer in through the door with us. So he identifies. He doesn't say, I'm better than you. He actually comes and becomes one of us. It's amazing, isn't it? If we're adopting a superior role in that attempt to bring reconciliation, we fail before we start. The only way we're going to, my view, is build anything is if we can come down right into that place and just be an equal, just be a friend. So what else happens? He surrenders. He relinquishes his rights. He bows to God's will and Peter says that he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So what, what's happening is Jesus has all these rights, but he puts them aside. We sing a song. We used to sing a song in church. You laid aside your majesty, gave up everything for me. It's a beautiful words, really, really beautiful. But this idea that somehow he's taken off his crown, put that there, taken off his robe, put that there, won't need that, taking, putting down all his regalia and stuff and he's just got like a simple robe on and that's it he's i mean actually it was even more humble than that wasn't it because he enters our world naked and he leaves it naked it's pretty oh man couldn't make it up so what happens then he's he writes off paul says he could he did not count so he was reconciling him all this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, or Christ was in God, or God was in Christ, or in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. If we want to be reconciled, we are going to have to do a shed load 
of forgiveness. We're going to literally have to clear the entire ground of anything, any historic offense. This is hard, isn't it? Should we go to the easy one? Let's go to something more easy. There's no, right. So what Jesus does is on the cross, he literally does not count our sin. Even the guys who are crucifying, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, that's really kind, isn't it, of Jesus. He's been very generous to their, because they're actually vicious, nasty people who've literally removed most of the skin off of his entire body with their whips. And now he's saying, oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So if we're going to really see reconciliation in our relationships, we have to be prepared. I believe, someone might want to argue with me, I believe we literally have to go right back over everything, forgive the whole lot, so there's no offense. So we don't go in there with this catalog of stuff. I'm going to forgive you for this, but I'm not going to forgive you. Oh, my goodness me, when you did, ah. Oh. We can't, we can't, we can't be starting revisiting, having a history lesson on the nuances of where they did go wrong and where they didn't. It has to be global. It's just the whole lot, everything. So it may be this one thing that's caused the offense, but actually everything's going in the skip. Why don't we have a different preacher? <laughs> okay, this is it's challenging, isn't it? But that's, that's what Jesus does. He's there personally paying the price. See, to forgive somebody, what does it actually mean? It means we're going to take the hit. We're going to take the hit. We can't say, really, well, it never happened, although we live as if it never happened. Do you know what I mean? So we're not going to ever probably forget it. And that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not about forgetting. Forgiveness is about choosing to not revisit it and not remember it. So he writes off all of our historic debts. He personally pays the price. He personally takes the hit. So if someone owes me a thousand pounds and I say, do you know what? I'm going to forgive that person. They won't know they're forgiven until I tell them they're forgiven. It's all very well for me to think nice forgiving thoughts, but they won't know they're forgiven until I say, do you know what? That thousand pound, it now is a gift. You don't owe it to me. And it's I just write off that debt now. Then we have formally closed that contract of debt. It no longer exists. But until we say those words, it's still there. And um, so what I'm doing then, I'm losing a thousand pounds, aren't I? I'm losing something that was mine and it was never intended to be a gift. It was intended to be a loan and now it's become a gift. I've lost a thousand pound, but I'm taking the hit. And that's what Jesus does. He takes the hit because actually it's very personal, as we'll see in a second. But he erases the record. So he doesn't have to keep whenever he sees us like, God, it's really nice of me to forgive you, wasn't it? God, wow. Aren't you lucky I forgave you? He doesn't. He never revisits it. So when we're going to forgive and be reconciled to someone, it's 
off limits to discuss anymore. And can I tell you as well, it's off limits to mention it to somebody else. Even when you're preaching as a sermon pointer, how good I am as a forgiver. We can't go there. It's, it's, it's off limits. Some preacher said once that Jesus throws all our sins into the sea and puts up a sign saying no fishing. But I, that's quite funny, I guess. Anyway, what's the next one for Janaitis? So here we go. Listen to the, look at the, just, just read this a second. This is not the Bible. This is me. He humbled himself to the lowest place possible. He became cursed. He died the most rotten, miserable, horrible, punitive death that was going at the time. They could not have thought of a worse one. He didn't choose a nice death, like a clean decapitation by a Roman centurion or something. He, he took the lowest place. But what's happening to his wounds? Where's that blood going? Where's the blood flowing? It's flowing down. Where to? I wasn't thinking quite that bad, Joan, but where's, where's his blood flowing to? To the lowest place. Because that's what always happens, isn't it? With water, oil, blood, it flows to the lowest place. Grace flows to the lowest place. That means that we're in the lowest place, in the humble place. That's where God's power and God's goodness and his kindness are available. They're not available when I'm up here in my lofty, self-important kind of place. I'm the one who didn't do anything. I'm the injured party. Do you know what I mean? There's no grace up there. The grace is down here saying... Do you know what? I am broken that our relationship is the way it is. I'm just here to see if we can at least talk about it. That's where the grace is. The grace is when your heart is kangarooing and you're parked outside the person's house and you're trying to pluck up courage to knock on the door. To have that conversation. That's where the grace is. The grace isn't at home when you're sat there justifying your position. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the time I had a strong disagreement with Anna? And I was right, of course. <laughs> and we had our other little house up at Highland Road. And um, we had a step down into the kitchen. And I walked into the kitchen and I stepped down. And I haven't heard the voice of God audibly like that many times, but he said, she's right, you know. And I, hold on a minute. <laughs> hold on a minute. You're God. You see everything. You know that it's me who's right. And I thought, he's, do you know what? He's not saying anything else to me. Isn't that funny? He's just made his statement. And so I just went in. I said, babe, God's just interrupted me and told me you're right. So that means I'm wrong. Will you forgive me? But God's grace flows in that moment, doesn't it? When we humble ourselves. So his grace flows to the lowest place. I don't know if we, I don't need to say any more about that, do I? But the, I believe the anointing is in that place of humility 
the grace of God, the power to get things changed and get things done and bring that relationship back is in the place of humility. Right. What's the next one, Forty? And this is really profound, isn't it? Although actually all our offenses are against him, he picks up our liability and pays. David says in the Psalms, against you only have I sinned, O Lord. And that's how it is. Our sin may have been against somebody else. It may have been even against ourselves, but ultimately, all our offenses are against God, aren't they? So our precious Savior, he, it's personal for him, because every single thing that he's carrying was against him in the first place. Amazing, isn't it? But he's still shoulders my liability and pays it. I can't think of a, a human equivalent, but let's just make one up. So you've got a teenage child and you've told them that they can't drive the car because it's not insured in their name, even though they may have passed their test and be the best driver in the whole entire world. And so one day you get a phone call or one night, in the middle of the night, you get a phone call and it's the police. And they say, oh, are you the owner of XYZ car? And you say, yeah, I am. What's happened? And you're still kind of catching up because you're oh, it's the middle of the night. Why are the police calling me? And then they say, your, I think your son has just crashed your car. And so you... you I don't know how you get there. Call a friend or whatever. Take your second car. Take the nice one. I don't know. You know what I mean? Just you get there and there's this wreckage of a car and there's your teenage son looking very shamefaced and embarrassed. And you've got two choices, haven't you? You, you could say, right, that's it. You're never, ever driving again, anything that belongs to me. And that car was worth... 10 grand or five grand or whatever, you're going to be paying that off literally from tomorrow. As long as we both shall live, you're going to be paying for that. Or you can take them in your arms. You can say, do you know what? I'm so glad you're alive. Don't worry about the car. I've got it. I would rather take the hit and have you. That's what's going on on the cross. Jesus is taking the hit. He doesn't, he has no obligation to do that. That is an entirely voluntary thing. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself for us to be an atoning sacrifice. There are many Christians around today who don't even like to think about Jesus paying for sin. They like to think of him as demonstrating love, but actually he's doing both. He's saying, I, you're never going to pay that, Fortunatus. You're never going to cover your sins. I will do it. I'll take that for you. He picks up our liability. Isn't that incredible? What was it? I think it might be a couple more, Fortune. So he invites, he invites us to his table. Oh my. Goodness me, 
the scallywags who put him on the cross. Now he says, come to my table. I want you to be my guests in my home. That's incredible. Well, I, a couple of us thinking, I think it's incredible. He invites us to his table. He introduces the father and he says, actually, my father's your father. And I've given you my spirit that's going to make you recognize God as your father because actually you'll find yourself referring to him as father. You'll find this thing coming up inside you that says, Abba, father. This, these Godward thoughts are going to begin to emerge in your heart, even though you once were far away from me and didn't even think it was possible. You'll find yourself wanting to worship me and love me. And then he shares his inheritance. Paul tells us that we're not just heirs of God, we're co-heirs with Christ. We literally, he brings us up. Talk about leveling up. There is no government minister capable of this one, this amount of leveling up. He levels us up to receive the same inheritance that Jesus does. And that is a whole thing we could spend a long, long time thinking about. It, it occurred to me once that the Father doesn't love me less than he loves Jesus. Wow. Have you ever thought about that? That somehow he loves you the same amount as he loves Jesus. Does that sound kind of like blasphemy almost? Yeah. He's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Yeah. So amazing. So he invites us to his table, introduces the Father, shares his inheritance, and then he entrusts this ministry of reconciliation to us who had been lost. So literally the ones who put him there, he now says, right, here's your sheriff badge. You're now sworn in as a official minister of reconciliation. But the thing is, we're not going to do it a different way than Jesus did it. So he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. We're going to do it the same way as Jesus did it, by moving, by identifying, by surrendering, putting down our rights. There is some more. He, we're going to do all of those things. We're going to write off that debt. We're going to make the invitation when it's all paid for and it's all done. I'd love to be your friend again. I'd love that we could have our relationship back. But even in that he, that, he can't make us love him. When we've done all those things and we've humbled ourselves and we've forgiven the person and gone to them and all the rest of it, blah, 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 we still can't make them make the right choice, can we? We've offered them the invitation back into relationship, but we can't make them. They're still going to have to come voluntarily. They're going to come because they've God's done a work in their heart, and that makes it possible. And to be honest, if, if the reconciliation is just about ticking boxes and it's not about a change of heart, nothing of any value has happened. And even in someone turning to follow Jesus, if they're just going through some prescribed um, kind of stages of whatever, coming to faith, and they're just ticking those boxes off, 
that's of no value. What is of value is when God actually does that work in our hearts and we are reconciled. And he's no longer, we're no longer distant, but we're like one. We've been brought together again. What a great word. I hope that it has encouraged you and blessed you as much as it did me when I listened to it. It certainly opened my eyes to see Jesus in a new way and the importance of the ministry of reconciliation. If you have something you want to talk about and you want someone to talk with, please would you get in touch with us. We'd love to help you process these things and get to the bottom of it. We absolutely believe that this is an important part of life and how we approach the gospel as well. So get in touch with us, email us at connect at prayerhouse.uk or send us a direct message through social media. Let us know or you can drop in. Come to us at the office at Chapel Hay during the week and we'll be happy to have a coffee with you and talk more in detail. So why don't we pray and just ask God to keep our hearts soft and allow us to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus who died on the cross for our sake, whose body was broken and blood was shed for us, for our sake. And Lord, we want to take this seriously. We want to take the ministry of reconciliation seriously. We want to be reconciled to you through Jesus and to each other through the love of Jesus that we share among each other. Lord, we ask that your hand would rest on us and every single one listening to this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.